Welcome to Canthropod, the Cambridge Anthropology podcast. This is episode two, Save the Date, by Patrick O'Hare. I'm Patrick O'Hare, PhD student in social anthropology at the University of Cambridge. During my fieldwork research with informal sector recyclers in Uruguay, known as classificadores or classifiers, I became fascinated with the multifold ways that materials entered and exited the waste stream, being appropriated, channeled, reused and recycled. At Montevideo's landfill, classificadores attempted to recover all that was valuable, usable or edible, while a central part of upper-class Catholic charity consisted of the channeling of surplus and waste to the poor in the guise of donations. In the Britain of austerity and fuel poverty, waste and food waste in particular have captured the public and policy imagination. I visited one restaurant which is trying to combat food waste, part of a growing network of real junk food cafes which are rescuing surplus food from supermarket skips and, with an expert hand in the kitchen, reconverting them into delicious affordable meals. With Lucia Scazzoccio from local radio East Cash Show, I set out to find out more and seek bridges between my Uruguayan research and London realities, as well as between waste scholarship and the culinary activists and innovators who also enjoy getting their hands dirty. We're essentially in a car park in Dalston, behind the bootstrap building, which is on our right here. And you've got some vegetables out here, so anyone can just come and pick yeah. them up? That's pick exactly it. This is our surplus. We're trying to encourage you to get your vegetables before you go shopping and then use more local shops to go and get the rest of the little things you need. We just encourage people to only take what they need. Yeah. Okay, so then we come in and there's the menu on the on the board what's on the menu today today is um so it's like a aubergine and red pepper pasta and we've got like tomato and paprika tart also just made a peach and lime mint ice cream which we tried Mm. earlier which was delicious delicious, yeah Yeah. can either go right to our relaxed sort of van area which is a bit more of a cozy sort of atmosphere for larger groups and then they take you out to the back amongst the herbs and all the flowers that are like is our edible garden which is all smaller seating which is all Hackney Herbal we're another organisation in the area and we also share with um, the bootstrap bees so then we have the the kitchen this is where the magic happens exactly you took the words out of my mouth (laughs) our tiny little kitchen as of tomorrow we move everything to the right into the shipping container I'm James I'm the co-founder of Save the Date Cafe uh, I've been doing this well since August and before that I was a chef for about 10-12 years floating around different restaurants and stuff seeing the shocking levels of waste. I'm Ruth, I'm a co-founder of Save the Date Cafe. Um, I used to work in admin um, as a PA and randomly saw a video of the Real Junk Food Project. They were set up in Leeds in a cafe in Armley and the founders that well two of the founders had been traveling in Australia and worked on waste food barbecues so they came back and looked into actually opening a venue so I contacted the real junk food project asked if there was anything in London they said no and then said well why don't you set it up so we did, yeah, we did. <laughs> basically we put something on Facebook because we hadn't said anything for two weeks. And then Bootstrap were like, we'd like to see that. Come and have a look. They Gathering gave speed. us six months, three rent, but they gave us three weeks to build a kitchen. So between yeah. us and a group of volunteers, we built an entire kitchen in the rain, gale force winds. So like three weeks 
20 pairs of chapped hands later we managed to open so and some of the it's built out of some recycled materials is the that right the whole venue we yeah. didn't spend a penny on what we did we um, didn't have any money when we started we so had absolutely nothing so we had to scavenge like pallets and stuff we there was uh, mass land behind us was being refurbished so we got a lot of their old stuff whereabouts do you source most of your food waste then uh, well originally we used to actually go and collect it from markets and yeah. things like that but it's turned around since we've got busier and since we were in time out people have actually started to deliver food to us so we've had quite large deliveries we get things from a company called natura we collect from nando's every week the bakers just down there actually give us some bread um like that's the dusty knuckle or our neighbors and then we get some from other places too then we just get people dropping stuff off don't we 90 percent of everything that we use is waste obviously you've got to bulk out some things we're at a point now where we actually get too much food so we are now redistributing it to other charities and yeah. other groups around the borough like and we've become like almost not only just a cafe just a distribution hub as well there's actually a new app that's been launched as well recently called Olio. We've been posting on there for people to come and collect vegetables and things. What are the ingredients that are necessary in order to create a, a real junk food cafe? The main one is passion about the waste. Oh. Like you care about what you're serving. I mean, you can pick up the skills like being a chef or cooking or serving on the way, but if you don't have the right sort of passion and drive to want to do waste food, you won't do it because you probably wouldn't touch it with a badge pole. And that message will never get put across to your customers. Like they could just come and think it's a normal restaurant otherwise. For us especially though, it's our volunteers. Yeah. We wouldn't exist without our volunteers. We wouldn't have a building without our That's volunteers. That's what I mean. They all have that passion. We yeah. don't just have people who come in here looking to fill two hours of their day because they're bored at home. They've all approached us, our volunteers yeah. now because they were interested in food waste before and they wanted to do something good with it. So. And I think the fact that everybody's had a chance to build it up, make changes and like sort of bring whatever they want to to the project without it being overly monitored, it's become really organic in its growth. Some of the statistics about food waste are pretty shocking, but at least in Britain there seems to be more media attention and coverage uh, devoted to the issue. There's been you know, grassroots initiatives like yourselves, NGOs, charities, celebrity chefs, celebrity campaigners who've been getting involved. Do you think that there's been a change in people's attitude? The funding for actual cafes like us is so sparse. People are really struggling to stay open. Like um, another cafe that was open, both Pie in the Sky, they were absolutely amazing, using food waste, couldn't afford to keep going. So to say that all of the food waste has to actually be designated to different charities is great, but if these places don't have the funding to actually stay open, then there isn't going to be anywhere for this food to go. So it doesn't need to be a change in the law on what you do with the food waste, it needs to be a change in the law in what is considered as waste and what can be thrown away. That's what should be restricted. But the point in that is that five years ago, no one would have had that conversation. And last year, the reason that increased, especially in London, last year was officially the year of waste. So it was like a worldwide focus for that one year, which was great because it triggered a lot of new organisations to get involved, it got them interested. But what's more important is to not just make it that year and to carry on the momentum and actually start to change the process. We are part of the FSE, which is the Food Surplus Entrepreneurs Network, and that is a European-wide thing. So we link with lots of different people throughout Europe. And one thing we notice when they come is they all, from like Holland and France, they consider London to be at the forefront of waste and they are overwhelmed by how many different organisations are here actually trying to tackle this problem firsthand. Would you say that in, in your case, what you receive is waste at all if it goes from being 
a surplus in a restaurant or in a factory to being an ingredient on plates. Uh, it shouldn't be waste. It's not waste. It's seen as waste, but it's not waste. That's the point. Yeah. It's not. It's surplus to the person who produced it or the person who ordered it, but it was not waste. Waste, waste to me is gen has to be rotted, only fit Smelling, for landfill, funky, compost, yeah. or like it shouldn't <laughs> be fit for landfill. It should be compost, or it should be put in somewhere else. Yeah, but like, but it should be to the point where it's completely unusable. Jamie's emphasis on waste and its putrefaction, decay, and sensory agency beyond the cultural classifications and regulatory regimes in which it might be entangled, strikes a chord with academic attempts to reintroduce materiality into understandings of waste. It also chime with my ethnographic encounters with classificadores, used to observing, smelling and tasting food from the landfill before declaring if it was sano, meaning healthy, whole or intact. But how did we get to a situation where the good to eat becomes fit only for the dustbin? You have to break down the whole chain. The waste at the end of it is a byproduct of corporate greed, overordering, just having bad systems in place, and people also have a little bit to do with sort of the world we live in. It's very demanding, quick pace, want things ready now, like here, there. The cos- like sort of cosmetic things with vegetables. People mm-hmm. think vegetables should look a certain way when yeah. they, they never did in the past. So a lot of the time, supermarkets, restaurants are like. Um, they're basically rejecting things because they don't look a certain way. When you'll actually now go to expensive grocery shops where the novelly fruit and veg is really expensive. There isn't a balance in the middle yet, which there needs to be. We would never expect to go to a supermarket and for it to have no food on the shelves. I mean, people actually get annoyed if they don't know their chicken Kiev or their vegetable isn't on the shelf for them to pick up. So it then has a backlash effect to then bigger companies producing stuff want to talk about they don't want to be not able to supply that contract and they don't want to be dropped because another company's actually overproduced and they actually budget in to waste 40% of all what they produce and it's just not okay. So rather than supermarkets having a monopoly on one farmer, they should be able to like sort of distribute it between different centres because the supermarket basically owns the farmer. It's not possible. It's like with dairy farming. We're massively overproducing milk, but dairy farmers are going out of business all the time and just being bought out by massive companies. Um, so let's talk about the name of the, the project or the, the little yeah. enterprise here. So you're part of the Real Junk Food Network, yeah. but you've, you've gone for the name Save the Date cafe here how yeah. did you decide well, it's on that a dual purpose first of all it means save the date as in the use by date best before date let's actually just save what you're eating and not ignore the date but then obviously the real junk food project is our sort of main is let's really feed the world so it stands for the date save the date for when we end world hunger as well for us it seemed to work quite nicely it's got this nice double meaning so with um best before dates use by dates display by dates consumed by dates, uh, what an American journalist is called, confused by dates out there. Do you think yeah. that um, some of the dates should be scrapped altogether? I think that confused by dates is the best name and they should be called that <laughs> firstly, but, uh, because that is exactly what they are. They're pointless numbers on a thing that let you blindly make choices without leaving all your common sense at the door, Best basically. necessary. You'd be almost better off just scrapping it all. It's about using all your available knowledge to assess what you're about to eat. So smell, taste, looks, texture, even just like, oh yeah, that 
you know just like if it looks really 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 bad it's probably because it yeah, is really really bad it, yeah. it looks okay <laughs> it's probably okay to eat is it? but that's why it's good that there's initiatives like this is rubbish you actually go to schools and talk to kids about how long you can store things that kind of thing and it, we'd like to move into that side of things yeah that's point. the next step um, just because I think mm. if you edu- educate people from a really young age as to what you can actually eat so like anybody who was around the grandparents who are our age would have had that drummed into them whereas younger kids now whose parents have lived with microwave meals and stuff like that won't have any idea about it so it's about like going back to that it seems to me that um risk is quite an important uh, thing to take into account and consideration uh, when we're talking about the food that supermarkets throw away for example there's things or the fact that use buy and sell by dates are printed at all that they're scared that of the risk that someone will become mm-hmm. ill and or make a complaint and you guys have uh, managed to find a way around that question of, of risk right or well, liability for risk for us we completely understand why people are scared to give you like food that's passed away. They are put in a place by the government that it's their liability, basically. And if you get ill, no matter how stupid the person was that ate it in that way, inevitably it comes back to the supplier of that yeah, project. Yeah, the ultimate consumer. The ultimate so consumer. You don't actually it's have to have bought something to um, sue them for getting sick from eating it. Yeah. Um, that's why we, we have the waiver form. So we, yeah. as soon as you take that project we get them to sign a waiver that says from this day on this never existed in your store it's completely ours oh yeah as soon as we get it basically it, it, it's, it's ours it's, it's not their problem it, it's chicken by save the date not chicken by nanda and also by the the system you have here which i wonder if you can talk a little bit about about how people don't come and um, pay a set price for their meals you all but they pay as you feel is that what it's called yeah, yeah pay as you feel. so could you tell us a little bit about how that how that works um, generally, we don't even look what, at what people give it to us. We just put it in the till and you tally up how many people at the end of the night, what you made, and you just put in an average. The reason we use it is because if you came in here today and you ate a burger, say, and I said £6.50 to you, you'd pay me £6.50, leave out the door, and you'd never think about where that food came from. And so how did successful do you think you've been in uh, either bringing together different parts of the community or even creating a community here? I mean, do you manage to bring together hipsters and homeless mm. people? Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, that was actually, a, yeah. sad to tell the difference sometimes. But <laughs> the, my favourite day ever was when we had the homeless person next to a hipster, next to a guy in a shirt and tie. And it was like, there's a photo of it somewhere. And was, we couldn't have actually done a better publicity photo if we tried, and it was yeah. just completely off the cuff. We're a community hub. Everybody in the community can come and pay whatever they can and have the food. The food's got to go. If anything, we, we encourage the homeless people to come. Do you think it's an accident that um, the real junk food cafes and network has, have sprung up at a time of austerity no, and people get their benefits cut? If you've met the rest of the junk people, yet there's no accident. Yeah, that? it's no accident at all. <laughs> the thing is, in most of the UK, like you can be on an alright salary, and you can, or you can be working full-time and be on what's supposed to be an acceptable salary, but you won't have enough money. People with children struggle constantly. Like There's people in fuel poverty. It's 2015 and people are deciding on whether they're going to eat or whether they're going to heat their house. It's absolutely disgusting. It shouldn't be like that. This, this question of dignity is quite important for my own research. So when surplus material, so whether it's food or clothes or furniture, is deemed dignified uh, and apt for human consumption, basically. Mm-hmm. So do you think here there's differences between in how you're treated or how you might feel or how dignified it is to go through the route of, say, a food bank to get a can of something or go into a, into a bin skipping or to come somewhere like here? 
I was um, like a lot of the time brought up by my granny and she grew up through rationing so for her it was always just like if there's food you get it and you eat it and if you're not going to eat it you preserve it and anything that you're not going to preserve you compost and it was just like that so it was we used to get seeds out of stuff that we'd eaten and sort of try and grow it in the back garden that kind of thing so I've always been brought up with do not throw food away food is very precious plenty of people I know out there have you told them you went skipping I would judge you with quite moms. a yeah <laughs> you told <laughs> like your mum that you just done and got her dinner out the skip the look <laughs> she'd know, give you would be like you've never told your mum no well, we should they know I've not told them the skipping side of it but imagine if we got our mums together and just sat them there <laughs> Oh, that's why I love doing things like we catered for the Guardian newspaper and didn't tell them it was waste food but we took food out of their own bin in the kitchen chocolate cake that they gave me Sam from the Bristol Project and Sam looked in the bin he's like look how it's chocolate cake and I was just, we looked at each other that instant glint like should we do it like that and we just took it out trimmed it strawberry cream in the middle served it they're like where'd you get that cake it's amazing um, your bin I know that in the the sector on food waste activism and food waste there's some overlap so that people like Tristan Stewart kind of use different sets of academic data or he generates it himself or at least works on it in some of his publications but is there ways that you think uh, academia or academic research could be useful in um, in your project? actually the secret of the junk food project so by having a network of cafes we record every gram of things that comes in, we record how many people came in, we record what the wastage was, we record how many meals were made. So what we actually have is an accurate chart of waste across the whole of the UK and an incredibly reliable set of stats. Businesses through donating their food waste are able to sometimes get a tax break but then also... In America, America, not in the UK. Not in the UK. Mm. Um, But you can put it, I think you can, there's a way of putting it under your CSR policy. At the very least they're not having to pay for landfill. landfill, well that's the way I always approach companies, I'm like so how much do you spend on landfill every year? How much do you pay Biffa to come and pick up that truck every day? It's like £500 every drop. Well, you have 10 drops a day. So it's that. So if you just gave us this veg and we collected it, there's a £1,000 save for That's Wednesday. That's how we got half of the stuff That's in the building, building as well. Because at like, we were like... <laughs> But you won't need another skip. So, so they all got us a trolley and like sort of about 12 blokes were just bringing all this and stuff. And then every the day they'd come, they're like, do you want this as well? Do you want this? <laughs> we'd be like, yeah, bring it in, like that. And yeah, we saved them a fortune we, we saved, on the budget that. for the, that. The site manager yeah. thanked us. He was like, you've actually saved us a, a They went in under budget skip. for the first time ever, yeah. apparently. <laughs> so. Like Clasificadores then, James and Ruth helped to lessen the environmental and financial cost of landfill, while also finding value in that which might be surplus to some, but not others. 25 years ago, clasificadores were described by a Uruguayan priest as ecological prophets, offering an alternative to throwaway consumerist society. Are real junk food cafes also heralding ways business will be conducted and food surplus and waste classified in the future? Only time will tell, of course, but in the meantime, the flavours and atmospheres of Save the Date are worth checking out and not to be sniffed at. And then at the back, this is hundreds where... Hundreds and hundreds of nasturtiums. This is my favourite plant in the garden, which is like the nasturtium plant. So you've got three parts. You've got the leaf, the seed, and the flower. The seed's so the a, lot, a lot of that going in your cooking like wasabi peas. So if you try that, mm. it's like a wasabi pea. It's a really peppery wow. burst of energy. And then Amazing. the wow. leaf has a completely different sort of flavour and wow, texture. it's hot. Mm-hmm. Good, isn't it? We're nothing special, we've just got a lot of great people behind us who are passionate about what we do 
and we used to think that you needed all these expertise and all of this and all of that but it's not at all if you've got the drive and like you gotta have drive that's what it is and like you just, some days you'll be at your lowest of low thinking it's not worth it but then you've got all these amazing people around you volunteering that just will change that in a second you'll come in and everyone will be like what are you doing like we've got this or this or we always find when something bad happens two good things happen straight after it yeah. don't they it's, it's such a weird like karma sort of balance and